at this point, I've done so many of these weird challenges, my, my imagination feels kind of like silly putty. And I can just stretch it to see like, what are the limits of cooking here? You're listening to The Taste Podcast. I'm Editor-in-Chief Matt Rodbard, here with Senior Editor Anna Hiesel. Today, Matt's talking to Alexis Deboshnik, a recipe developer and tasty video star who is the author of a new cookbook, To the Last Bite. Matt, what did you and Alexis talk about? And I really enjoyed my chat with Alexis, and you may know her from her tasty videos like, can this chef make a three-course meal using power tools? Alexis is a lot of fun here, and we talk about her life growing up in the Catskills, which is a region of upstate New York that you know many may have heard of but don't really know about. The Catskills is like actually kind of a happening place for food right now. There are so many restaurants popping up, a lot of New York chefs moving up there and starting new things. Yeah, the Catskills, when I was growing up, I was like Dirty Dancing, that movie, that wonderful movie, The Lift, of course, we know that. Um, But really, I didn't know much else about it. I was from the Midwest, so I didn't really know. But then I moved here, and I'm like, oh, wow, the Catskills. It's like there's farms there, and there's mountains, and it's this really cool small part of uh, upstate New York that is getting a lot of attention, rightly so. Uh, And Alexis and I talk about it, and we also talk about how she writes recipes in this really unique way. They're very editorial, I must say, in like the best way possible. Here's Matt catching up with Alexis. Alexis Deboshnik, welcome to the Taste Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, A day after your book has been released, you were going to come down to New York, hang out with some friends. It's mid-April. It's April 20th right now, just for the record. What happened yesterday? Let's there, go over that. <laughs> yesterday was not the day I expected. There was a foot of snow. Wow. We lost power for 14 hours. I couldn't come to the city. I was like hanging out the window trying to get one bar of service, huddled by the fire all day. It was it was crazy. What a crazy. But that's typical upstate weather. And we, when we refer to upstate, we're referring to upstate New York. So let's just yes. get that out of the way. Yes. Um, you live in the Catskills. Um, and I wanted to ask you uh, about that region. I also live there. I live at the beginning of the Catskills in Orange County, which is just near Sullivan where it starts, but you're further up. What are the Catskills? And let's talk about the food of the Catskills. Is there actually like a terroir of the Catskills? I think there is. I mean, first, the Catskills, it's a a mountainous region in upstate New York. I'm about three hours from the George Washington Bridge. It's incredibly beautiful. It is just such a rural, bountiful region. And it's really, you know, kind of one of the agricultural regions of New York State. There's so many dairy farms. There's beef farms. I mean, pretty much every type of farm. And I think that's one of the reasons I love living there so much. I mean, we can literally see where we get our pastured beef, like from our hill. We can see the cows. We get our milk down the road. You know, it's like very much this, you know, this whole idea of like, you know, local food. It's like we're living it. Yeah, with lots of microclimates. I agree. I, you know, I thought of the Catskills as like dirty dancing in the Borscht Belt. Personally, that was like my connection. Sure, sure. But then once I moved up there, it's like truly a, a unique American agricultural center. Totally. And you're speaking of that. And so what are these farms like? What are they making? What are they producing? I mean, I think one of the joys is, you know, they're really small scale farms. Like they're family farms that have been around for generations or they're new farmers that are getting really into it, getting into the area. And there's every, I mean, beef, sheep, 
goats. Yeah. I mean, vegetables. There's so many farmers that come to the Union Square Farmers Market. Like it, it's yeah. just. I mean, trout. You know, everything you could kind of imagine, they're doing the It feels like a little bit like uh, where I grew up in West Michigan or the Midwest, plus like Colorado. Totally. It's got similar ranges of cattle, mountains, but also this like black dirt. Yeah. You grew up there. I did. Well, I was born in New York and then moved there when I was two. So to me, it's it's home. It's home. So what was it like growing up like in a rural community up in the Catskills? Like were you uh, like – Wishing you were living in the city. Yeah, of course. Good. I mean, no. I as a as a kid, I loved yeah. it. Um, <laughs> you know, my dad was an artist. He lived in Williamsburg, so I went kind of back and forth. And I was yeah. like, once I was a teenager, I was like, get me out of here. Yeah. <laughs> I want to be in New York. That's where I belong. That's where like you know all the things are happening. I graduated early from high school because <laughs> I was like, I can't do the small town thing anymore. Yeah, yeah. And um, you know, in retrospect, I'm like, oh, it was amazing. You yeah. know, I think as a, you know, as a teenager, no one really appreciates where they're from. Yeah. Um, but it was, like, pretty wholesome. I mean, we were, like, going to parties, like, on top of, like, hills under power lines. And yeah. it was called, like, God's Knob. Like, it felt very, <laughs> you know, I'm like, it's pretty wholesome American. Okay, Alexis, the cat skills. I want to know, I'm kind of new to the area. Sure. Like, I, 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 I moved up there about a year and a half ago in Orange County, which is slightly different than where you live. So where where am I? Uh, we're talking about west side of the river. There's a yes. whole east side west side yes, thing. Yes, yes, totally. Gary Steingart and I talked about on, on that episode about the east west, and he writes about a great his great new book. Um, but where should I like? I want to know like you're plugged. Where are we eating in the in this like 700 Oof. mile radius area? I mean, I have to plug my local favorites. There's this place called Hollow in Delhi. It's yeah. a cafe by day, restaurant by night. Um, I think the chef worked at Mama Fuku. Like it is legit and insane that we have this. Like you can get like a chicken katsu sandwich in Delhi, which is insane. Population cool. 3,000. Like this is yeah. this is groundbreaking for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Another favorite, the Bovina Fermentary. Um, my friends opened it. It's this like a amazing in brewery like hidden in the woods in in truly the middle of nowhere Mm -hmm. incredible beer they have great food you can go to these like special dinners they have on the weekends yeah but mine is a cool little spot i like it up there it's nice up there um so what is the deal why are folks moving up like from the city i mean i have my reasons you have your reasons but why do you think the food people like the restaurant folks are moving upstate i mean i think people are you know i think the pandemic I think the pandemic really kind of shone a light on people's priorities and, you know, living in the Catskills, you get to really be close to your food. Yeah. And I think especially if you work in food, people want to want to see that, touch it, work with it. Fully agree. Drive down the road to get it. But then you can like hang out in the city. when you Yeah. Want. But then, you know, you can drive down the city this, you know, in three hours. And yeah. Be here. It's a special place. Any other places that I should be going uh, upstate? Oh my gosh. I mean, I think, oh, there's another one, Selinsky's in this town called Stamford. This is, okay, this is going to be controversial. People are going to get upset. Yeah. The best brisket I've ever had. Wow, wow. No, the no, best. No, no. It so, is, I, I'm like, what What yeah. are they doing? He makes like all this charcuterie mm-hmm. and, you know, meat products with like, you know, local organic meat. Yeah. And, but this brisket, yeah. I dream about it. Is it like a so it's like a Jewish style brisket and not like a smoked brisket? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, cool. It's incredible. 
I feel how about Kingston. Do you ever make it down there? Is that too? I've heard Kingston's like yeah. popping off. I can't wait to go. I mean, I've I've been a few years ago, but I'm yeah. like, oh, there's so much to do. I mean, Kingston's like an hour and a half from me. So yeah, it's definitely a different um, a different world world. And that's the thing. A lot of folks maybe listening hear about upstate, and they think it's like a one um, one stop shop, one stop place, or one town, or just Hudson, which it kind of feels like a little bit of. But the I'm epicenter. like, is Hudson the Catskills? It's not. It's not, right? Very different. Hudson Valley, totally different. Let's get real here. Catskills is totally different. I mean, Catskills, green... like, you you need to see, like, a mountain. You need to be in, a, like, a mountain, a hill. Dude, Wyndham is awesome skiing. Incredible. I love it up there. Green County is beautiful. And, like, it, it feels like Colorado in many areas. I mean, this is not a sponsored segment, I, I guarantee you. <laughs> Maybe um, it is. How, are you going to be there for the long haul? Are you yeah, feeling? I mean, my, my fiance and I moved back in the pandemic thinking we were going to be there for, like, six months, just kind of, like, mm-hmm. hang out for a bit. And loved it so much we decided to stay. And, oh, we're, we're, we're in. We're fully in. Really? So do you feel like, are you going to maybe open something up there? I feel like you, you're just talking about all of the, yeah, you say, oof, I say the same thing. I, I'm like, I'm not opening anything. I, I feel like this is nice. Food media is like a nice distance from opening Yeah, ex- I mean, yeah, it's like, you know, if you, if you open something, then you have to be there all the time. So when you were growing up there, what was your, your home kitchen like? Because you write about your, your mother's kitchen yes. in the book. Um, big To the Last Bite, your book, which we'll talk a lot about. But I'd like to hear a little bit more about growing up. What were you cooking? Well, I wasn't cooking much, I have to be honest. That that didn't happen until college. Respect um, the honesty. I, I think yeah. that narrative someone's like, I was there at age five is like oh, accurate. No, I was I mean, my mom's an amazing cook and she's also an amazing gardener. And, you know, yeah. because it's such a rural area, there was, you know, at the time now the Catskills are like cool. There's like <laughs> restaurants, there's things to do. Yeah. There was literally nothing. Yeah. So she made dinner every single night. Otherwise, like if you don't cook, you don't eat. Right. No, it's true. There's. I mean, you're not even getting a McDonald's or, or by you. Yeah, probably. the McDonald's came in the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, you know, it, there, there weren't a lot of options. So, you know, she just had, you know, she was really cooking seasonally. We had a big garden and, you know, we had an amazing farmer's market. That's been going on for years. And she really, you know, cooked with the seasons. And it's, you know, nothing too crazy complicated. I'd say approachable using good ingredients. And I think that's kind of informed my, like, my own ethos with cooking today. Was there a dish that you grew Grew up eating that you feel you still make a lot today. Oh yeah, there's my like favorite recipe of all time. It's in the book. It's called weeknight rice. Yeah, it's kind of like a, a rice pilaf, I guess. You know, you, you get some shallots. Mm-hmm. There's some white wine, chicken stock, and it's it's my favorite food. It sounds great. I love the way that your book, uh, and we'll get to like it's a very editorial feeling. Like you just and just the way you describe that, it's like very. Very editorial in the best way possible. You're very clever with the way you you frame these recipes. And I'm getting to your your background because it's really cool. (laughs) The way you kind of came to food media because you worked at Tasty uh, and you still do work there. And you are responsible for some of the, the biggest food videos ever on the Internet. Uh, that's I mean that's so we I'm like when you say that I'm like are you do you have the right person are you sure that's me <laughs> it's not hyperbole I mean your your video titled can this chef make a three-course meal in a coffee maker <laughs> which I think is great check it out 13 million views like I, you're not seeing that for food content really anywhere so what was it like working at tasty during this rise of pans and hands which I think you invented or, or the BuzzFeed crew and Allison Roman you know it was part of inventing pans and hands but what was it like working there totally I mean I joined Tasty as like a test kitchen manager I mm-hmm. had no intention of being on camera I was like no no that's not for me and it's BuzzFeed so of course you know 
kind of ended up there. And then I was like, oh, this is really fun. And I kind of realized, you know, a few months in, I was like, oh, there's a real opportunity here to combine entertainment and education, Mm -hmm. which to me is like the most fun thing you could have. I think I hopefully the book does it too. Um, And it was just you know, I feel like YouTube was like really blowing up and there was so much creativity and we had so much flexibility to just try things. Like that's how the coffee maker video came up. They were just like, oh, should we see if this works? Yeah. And we did. And it was so weird. It was like one of the most fun shoots I've ever done. Mm -hmm. And we were like, this isn't, this might not work. Like this might be a bust. And it did work. It was delicious. And the video, I mean, I think we got a million views in 24 hours. It was crazy. It's a great video I'll link to in the show notes. And I think it's it's definitely part of your your ethic is is being challenged. And I think that's been repeated <laughs> time and again on food media and the, on YouTube. Like the three courses with five ingredients. Yes. You're like you like I've read the comments and it's obvious that you're really good at this. Because comments like you are the you are our favorite, you are the best. So why are you the best at this? That's so nice. I never read the comments, so okay. that's really well, nice. There you to go. Hear. That's what they're saying. Um I, I have to be honest, like, I don't know what happens. Like, <laughs> if, if, if you were just like, what would you make right now? I'm like, yeah, I don't know. But something happens, like, when a challenge is put in front of me where I'm like, oh, I, I can do this. Like, mm-hmm. give me 10 minutes and I can come up with something. I mean, I think there's, you know, it's at this point I've done so many of these weird challenges. My, my imagination feels kind of like silly putty. Yeah. And I can just stretch it to see, like, what are the limits of cooking here? Yeah. I mean, uh, would you do Top Chef? Would you do, like, go on quick fire? <laughs> I feel like I'd be really bad at that. I yeah. mean, maybe. I, I mean, would. I think, the t- I think it's hard. The time constraint feels yeah. really hard. Time is tough. Yeah, the time constraint. You know, on, on, these, sh- on these shows, like, I have as much time as I want. Yeah, so there is a little that's, bit of editing in there. That's yeah. the beauty of it. But still, I think it's challenging, and you show a lot of creativity. You've also worked as a recipe tester and developer. Yes. So, like, let me ask you... Like, what was the hardest dish to crack as a recipe developer? I think my the first dish I developed for Food 52, it was assigned to me. It's an Easter bread. I don't know if you know what that is. It's this, like, gigantic loaf of, like, braided and rich dough, which has hard-boiled eggs, like, wedged in between the braids. This it's sounds like, Italian-American. Yeah. It's, this is purely Italian. It's got it's, it's to gotta be. Um, and I I took it on being like, yeah, this sounds fun. And I was like, oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, like, take it to the next level. I'm going to also naturally dye all the eggs and then put it in the bread. The whole thing, it became such a production. Yeah. I was like, I've never had this bread before. I've never naturally dyed <laughs> eggs before. Like, why have I just, what, how did I end up here? What am I doing? What was the outcome? That's delicious. It's delicious. I mean, I listen. I made it so many times that, like, you know, by by the end of it, it's got to be delicious. But you also test. Do you test? I also I test recipes. I would say develop more than test. You develop more than test. Yeah, but but you know, some testing. Okay, so your new book is wonderful. I I I have to. I'm going to come back to the point I was making, which is, it's just. Every every title is well conceived. Every like head note is well conceived. Like some of the dishes are creamy preserved lemon pasta, speshka paprika chicken with carrots and onions, baja fish tacos, banana tartatine, mm. one bowl fudge brownie. I'm like hyping all these because <laughs> honestly, it feels like there's a real editorial angle here. So my question is, is like what inspires you mm. when you're writing these recipes that feel they're just pleasers. I mean, I think that's exactly it. I want to make recipes that people want to eat. I mean, yeah. I think, you know, there's so many great recipes out there, but if people aren't actually cooking them and making them, then, like, I have failed mm-hmm. as a recipe developer. Yeah. And I want all my recipes to be approachable. You know, some are 
a little more complicated eggplant parm that has, you know, two pages instead of one, but that's just a more, you know, takes a little more labor. Um, but I want it to be approachable and I want people to cook and I want them to be inspired. And even if they don't follow the recipe to a T, I hope they're like, oh, I have these things in my pantry. Yeah. Like I can riff on this in a really exciting way. So it's a hard book to nail because you're not writing a book about a particular cuisine, right? These are books, yeah. these are recipes that are just to you, you feel like approachable. Yeah, approachable. And like the recipes that I eat. You know, yeah. on a on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. Cool, cool. So things that you're actually making. That's a hard thing to sometimes to articulate. Totally. Sometimes we eat things that aren't that cool, right? Totally. I mean, listen, I'm not, like, putting a recipe in there for, like, the weird, like, egg rice bowl that I have, like, three times a week. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. you know, a lot of these are on my weekly rotation. I have the, the tortilla and cheese, and I do have some weird bowls, too. Uh, everyone I mean, does. Everyone does. Like, this is real talk. <laughs> um, you have a YouTube channel. I think that yes. uh, I wanted to get a little bit. We talked about food media a bit on this podcast, and I want to get – about when you leave a big place like Tasty mm. to launch your own YouTube. And you're successful. You've got thousands of followers on YouTube. What is that like building an indie brand right now Oof. around your, your videos? It must be hard. I mean, I'll be honest. I I mean, I think I left Tasty with a bit of an ego. I thought yeah. going freelance was going to be, I thought, you know, I was going to have all these opportunities handed to me. I didn't have like a safety net. And it was a humbling experience. Mm-hmm. You know, it takes a lot of hustle and a lot of time to kind of get your network and, um, you know, nine months in, uh, COVID hit. So yeah. that really knocked me out. I mean, I'm really proud of myself and I think yeah. in a really good position now. But I think for anyone thinking about going freelance or if you are freelance, like, you know that it is a constant hustle and a constant, like, feast or famine. Yeah. I mean, it's a constant hustle and it's always changing. The algorithms yeah, and are t- changing. And, you're, and, and so do you have, like, a revenue stream for that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I think I'm in a really fortunate position because I also make money off of Instagram. You know, I do branded content and sponsored posts and I'm really lucky to be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So Instagram is a place where you make some revenue, but you're, you're trying to mail, build these, these videos on YouTube that articulate your cooking style. Totally. That could I mean, actually be a TV show. Is everything? I mean, that'd be amazing. Yeah, right. yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of like the ultimate goal, but you know, it's like, we're playing the long game here. I think there's like a real shift right now of, you know, coming out and being like, I am not BuzzFeed. I am my own person. And hopefully that this book is also representative of that. For sure. What's your relationship with TikTok? <laughs> Non-existent. I figured. So this is interesting. What, why so? Because I'm like, I'm on Instagram for so many hours already. Yeah. It's like, I already feel like my brain is kind of rotting. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I was, I've just come to accept that I need to do reels. Maybe I'll upload it to TikTok. But- <laughs> I, it's hard. It's yeah. you can't do everything. I know it's hard, and, and reels, you know, not as good as TikTok. We'll just be real. Are you on TikTok? Uh, I am on TikTok. Uh, <laughs> uh, twenty twenty, me was on TikTok. Sure, sure. So early pandemic, yes. I was on TikTok. You can find me on my name at Matt Rodbart at TikTok. But I, 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 I love it consuming it, and I think for Enjoy. home cooking, it's really, 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 really powerful. We just had um, Aton Bernath on here, uh, and he talked about it. he's a TikTok star. He's, I mean, he's like taken, taken over. He is taken over and he's, he's great. He's amazing. I mean, I just, I really admire like the time and dedication it takes. And I think people underestimate how much goes into it. Yeah. You lived in California for a bit. Seven years. Seven years. So you, you left the Catskills and you went out to California. Left the Catskills, went to New York. Oh, went to New York. Went to FIT. I was here for seven years, then went to LA. What was it like for seven years in LA? What were you up to? It was amazing. I moved with an ex-boyfriend. Yeah. Like many of us have. Yeah, sure. And, uh. I, I, I loved it so much. I stayed and it was amazing. I mean, it was such it was such a 
contrast to the Catskills. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm so grateful for that time. I made amazing friends, amazing connections, got me into video. And I think it was kind of interesting to have this different perspective from a food media standpoint, like from the New York food media scene, some of which I like missed out on. But um, yeah, it it depends on when you were in California. What years are we talking about? 2013 to 2020. Yeah, so it's a, it's definitely a, a certain time of New York media. But L.A. had its own unique totally. – and you really lived there during, I would say, the rise of the national respect for L.A. Totally. as a food city. Which is – I'm still like, yeah, L.A., best food city. Yeah, totally. I've said it many times on here that it is the best food city. So what's your best e- favorite east side taco spot? Oh, you my on the spot God. There. I mean, speaking of Baja fish tacos, yeah. I mean – uh, Marisco's Jalisco's the the best fish tacos I've ever had. Marisco, hell, hell yeah, R- respect to that choice. Incredible. Um, if you're on the west side, I'll say yeah, I'll, I'll say like west of Brentwood. Where are you going? I have to be honest. I I'm one of those people that like yeah. rarely went to the west side. I would like go to Justa once every six months and be like, this is nice. Now it's time to go back. Yeah, you. you, you, you I I take it you are an east side. I yeah fan. yeah I. Can't, I can't pretend I'm not. No, right on. Um, okay, I brought up I, I, in the notes I sent you like chili crisp. It yes. seems like you have a real deep love for chili crisp. <laughs> I, I do have a and chili I found crisp recipe. Yeah. I mean, I have a chili crisp recipe, which you know, uh, you know, it's a great way to use up what you have in your pantry, um, and it's delicious. I mean, you know, I know it's a bit. It takes it takes some time. Yeah. You know. I, Fly by Jing, obviously amazing. There's a brand, there's this place called Milu, mm-hmm. and their chili crisp is like my latest thing. I can't get enough. Um, I think it just makes literally everything better. That like weird egg rice bowl I mentioned, yeah. like the chili crisp. It's, it's a vessel a for the chili crisp. Got it. I, I think it's cool that you incorporated that along with a lot of other cool products. You're pretty plugged into the the brands, uh, food brands um, on the internet. I feel like it's just natural to your, your, your the way that you conduct your business and just like the kind of person you are. And, and being really native to the online. My long-winded question is, what <laughs> should I buy right now online? Food-wise? Yeah. Brightland olive oil. Right on. I, I can't get enough. Every I mean, I use it every single day, and actually their vinegar, the whole thing, their honey. Yeah, I'm a big fan it's, of Brightland. I bought some, my mom some some bottles um, a year ago. It's a great gift. It's, uh, listen, it's, it's expensive. Yeah. But yeah, if yeah. you're like able to treat yourself, Brightland olive oil. Yeah, I like this stuff. Okay, we asked all guests on the Taste Podcast, if you could write a book with no budget, meaning you have an unlimited budget, or no deadline, meaning you have unlimited time. Oh, no budget. No budget. No budget. Okay. I feel like now that I've done a book, I'm like, I'm ready for the next one. You're feeling it. Oh, I'm like, I can do it. I know what to do. Like, I'm ready. What's it going to be? Well, stay tuned. Okay, so you're not answering. You're ducking the question. Okay, so let's let's say this then. What's the dream book four of yours? Because you you'll have more. What do you? Ooh, what's the dream book four? You know, I think. I mean, I'm hoping my kind of career in writing cookbooks kind of kind of follows like my life as yeah. I kind of grow and change and move through the world. You know, I hope my. Uh, cookbooks kind of grow with me. Yeah, I think they will. I, I feel uh, you're you're only starting your journey. Yeah, this is the beginning. Uh, Alexis uh, Dubashnik, thank you for joining the Taste Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Matt, today we're in the studio to talk about cookies. Specifically, a very famous, popular cookie known as the chocolate chip cookie. I've heard about it. I've read about it. I I had one this morning. You brought me one, actually. 
Oh my god, can we shout that out right from the jump? It's from uh, the Sugar Station, New Jersey. It's it, good, right? It was really good. Really awesome cookie. But we're here today to talk about it because it's such a controversial topic. And we found ourselves covering chocolate chip cookies so much on Taste over the years. Absolutely. I feel like we uh, have talked about it a lot in our in our editorial meetings every week because there's always a new take about like chocolate ratios and uh, chewiness and cakiness. And you, you get like people – really, they're heated up, I think, about the chocolate chip cookie, pun intended – um, with the urgency that you don't really find with like oatmeal raisin cookies, right? You're not, no one's like at replying about oatmeal raisin, right? Yeah. It's like so personal. Like everyone has some really specific, their own experience with chocolate chip cookies and like their favorite way to eat them. Yeah. I feel like Caitlin Bray wrote a, a great piece for us and I'm going to quote her because I think it, it hammers home an idea. There's a nostalgia accessibility, a wide variety of styles, plus it's ubiqu- ubiquitous food that everyone feels they're entitled to an opinion about and they like to shout about it and are rarely willing to budge, right? The chocolate chip cookie, you're willing, to, rarely willing to budge on your favorite style of chocolate chip cookie. Exactly. It's so true. And obviously, like, there's so much contention about how they should be made, like, what's an acceptable add-in, et cetera. But there's also always sort of controversy about where the best place to go for a chocolate (laughs) chip cookie is. And it's, like, such a New York topic. I feel like there's so many lists out there about the best chocolate chip cookies in New York. Do you have a favorite place to buy a chocolate chip cookie? I have a favorite place, and I have, like, the most overrated place. And I'm just going to say Levan is overrated. Just going to say it. Can I say that? Fair, yes. I mean, there's always a line out the door. They're very Ugh. famous. They're very large cookies. They are oversized, they, and they look nice, and, and they're just, eh. Okay, my pick. First, let's get to my pick. It's not from a bakery, Anna. It's from a coffee shop or a cafe. I feel like I've, I've known about Culture Espresso since I think they opened. I mean, they've had locations on 33rd Street, 36th Street. It's kind of in that garment district area it's not really um like prized real estate but they're smart because people will go to culture to have you know great espressos they they mostly pour heart from portland oregon heart roasters beautiful coffees but these cookies anna are are why i go there they're incredible they make them sheet after sheet after sheet every single morning and they're always served warm and i think for me um, they're, they're more on the cakier side. So they're not giving you that crunch that I think some, um, like Tate's is kind of like the epitome of crunch and everyone kind of tries to follow Tate's, even though I'm not a huge Tate's fan, but I still think culture makes the best cookie because it's got this incredibly bitter chocolate in it that works so well with, uh, an espresso milk drink, like with a cortado, um, you want that really bitter chocolate, and I love that bitterness because it cuts through the cortado. You get that hit of caffeine. You get the cookie. It's like the perfect thing. It's a perfect like after work lunch pick me up too because like when you're just craving a little snack but something that goes really well with coffee, like there's nothing better than that. Better. And what, what's your New York City pick for chocolate chip cookies? Well, this reminds me that I used to work right near Grand Central Station, and they have a Jacques Torres chocolate in there. Yeah which is really famous for their chocolate chip cookies. Their style is, like, packed with these really big chunks of chocolate, and they heat them up to order, so you get this, like, 
sort of unwieldy, sort of messy, uh, like melty chocolate chip cookie. But it's so good. Similarly, they use like a really bitter dark chocolate, so it's not too sweet, which is something I really seek out. It's kind of flattened out, right? It's like a pretty flat and large. It's kind of like those cookies you get at like school or like high school. Definitely, yeah. Yeah. So, Anna, a few years ago, Priya Krishna wrote this story for Taste. I wanted to talk about it because it was a great story. We'll link to it, absolutely. But it's about how people have these memories of chocolate chip cookies and they seek chocolate chip cookies out at the most unique places. Uh, For one, she talked to somebody who went to the United Nations headquarters cafeteria for the best cookie. Someone loves Pret-a-Manger. Another person loves Subway, of all places. You know, Subway, famous for their chocolate chip cookie kind of like plastic container at the checkout. It's like a guilty purchase. Everyone's done it. I've done it in the last week or so. Um, for me personally, my kind of weirder place to to love chocolate chip cookies was when I was in uh, middle school, I was in ski club. Awesome. Yeah. One of the cool kids. One of the, I, I, Yeah, like not cool, not uncool. It was like in between. But they had the best chocolate chip cookies that they served at the cafeteria at, at Bittersweet Ski Resort in Otsego, Michigan, and I would buy that, put it in my pocket, and, like, on the lift, I would have a little, like, bite here and there through the course of the night. That was my memory. Do you have a memory yourself? Of That's a such cookie? a smart move, <laughs> just, like, the ski lift cookie. I know Priya also talked about some of the totally non-restaurant, non-bakery, non-food places people like to go for chocolate chip cookies. Yeah. Like... Doubletree Inn, for instance, famous for their chocolate chip cookies. Oh, yeah, the Doubletree, the warm cookie of the Doubletree, and you check in, right? Yeah, it's such a good system to have. Also, Bob's Discount Furniture, um, she kind of wrote about, like, how the smell of cookies just makes people happy and makes people feel like they're home. So it's kind of like a weird branding exercise for some of these non-food businesses just to make people feel Comfortable. Comfortable. They say uh, when you're selling a house, you should bake cookies and leave that in the oven when you're showing your house. Have you heard of that before? Oh, yeah. It's like a real estate trick. It's a real real estate trick. Totally. You don't want like a glade like candle smell. You want chocolate chip cookie smell. Yeah. It's like there's something so authentic about it. Yeah. Do you have a favorite grocery store chocolate chip cookie? Anna, in fact, I do. And it might be a brand that's a little regional, but it is a brand called Matt's. Coincidence? Matt's? I think not. No I think so. Well, it, yeah, you know, I think I originally probably ate Matt's cookies because it was my name and my like it was cute. Like, oh, Matt likes Matt's. But to be honest, and I think anyone who's a Matt's head out there listening right now will know, it's an incredible industrial cookie. We're talking about industrial cookies, ones you can buy in the grocery store. And Matt's uh, cookie company is based in Wheeling, Illinois, so a Chicago suburb. And it was well known for serving these kind of oversized chocolate chip cookies that had, I would call it a brown sugary kind of note to them that was just richness that I thought for an industrial cookie was exceptional. What was the texture like? Because one of my biggest problems with store-bought cookies is that there isn't a ton of variation in texture. You get the like sort of like really brittle, crunchy and then you get sort of like a weird, like fake, chewy kind I hate of that. texture. That, and and Matt's is just on the edge of fake chewy with real chewy. 
because there's definitely a chew to it, and I think the best ones have that chew. But still, we're talking about industrial cookies. These aren't handmade one by one, so you're still going to compromise some flavor. They also do a peanut butter cookie. I know we're not going in the PB zone right now, but I think chocolate, like their peanut butter chocolate chip is pretty bomb. But honestly, their chocolate chip cookie is like the best. I must say, I went on Amazon this afternoon and looked at some of the reviews, and there were some pissed off people about mats. Oh my gosh, what were their complaints? (laughs) Bone to pick with mats uh, that they're selling stale cookies. That, oh my goodness. That the cookies that, but okay, here, like guys, like let's like slow down. Don't buy cookies on Amazon. Yeah, horrible like, place to buy. I mean, this is like a, a food with a shelf life. Yeah, guys. Buy it at your local, you know, Subway. Uh, Jewel Osco, more like it. Jewel Osco in Chicago, Illinois, Chicagoland. Buy some Matt's cookies. Uh, do you have a favorite industrial yourself? Maybe like chips, maybe like a classic Chips Ahoy when I'm like really in the right mood. But I kind of am more of a homemade person. There's just more to offer texture-wise, I think, in the homemade realm. It's hard. I can't go with Chips Ahoy. I'm sorry. The ones with the the rainbow M&Ms, though, I can go with those. Oh, yeah, totally. Super good. I actually learned a lot about cookie textures from your book, Food IQ. You did. Hey, how do we get Food IQ onto the show? I wonder. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate you bringing it up because Food IQ, we, we, we did a question about chocolate chip cookies and we, we talked to Sherry Yard, who's in it kind of a legend, not kind of shit. She is a legendary pastry chef based in Los Angeles, worked at Spago, very, very, very influential uh, pastry chef. And she, she helped us build a chart. And we took a chart. We went from extra crispy to crispy to average to thick and cakey to soft and chewy. So like the, from the crispiest range to the ch- cakiest range. And we decided to kind of break it down by uh, by ingredients. Uh, we broke it down like brown sugar, sugar, eggs, um, flour, of course, all the fundamental elements of a cookie. And we decided to kind of break it down and show the progression. And sure enough, chewier uh, has more brown sugar, crispier has more butter. That's the way it is. There's actually one of my favorite chocolate chip cookie recipes has no butter because it's actually vegan. Have you had the ovenly vegan <laughs> chocolate chip cookie? Famous in New York. Really, really great call, Anna. I feel like that one from uh, Agatha and 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 Aaron uh, at Ovenly. What a great cookie. It's really, really solid. Definitely, if you're making cookies for a vegan bunch, try it. It's really good. Um, also, the classic Toll House recipe. Like, it works oh. so well. You can swap in different chocolate. You can swap in, like, fancy, like, slightly pricier dark chocolate. And it's just a really well-balanced cookie, really solid recipe. I'm going to check it out. I, I feel like cookies are a controversial topic, and we have plenty of takes on taste, and we'll link to some of those articles in our show notes. There is something for everyone. Happy baking. The Taste Podcast is hosted by Matt Rodbard and me, Anna Heasel. The show is produced by Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumbert. Our theme music is by Steve Rydell. Visit Taste online at tastecooking.com and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter. Thanks for listening.